It's Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, we take a look at the news that some have described as a political earthquake here in Michigan as U.S. Representative Dan Kildee announced he won't be seeking re-election in 2024. The Democratic congressman currently holds a seat in an area that touches Flint, Saginaw, as well as portions of Midland. After redistricting, people thought it's a pretty competitive seat that he was able to win fairly easily. But folks are thinking that it might not be the same this next time around with this announcement as it represents a plum opportunity for Republicans to potentially pick up a seat and help hold on to the House of Representatives in 2024. What will it mean for Michigan and folks nationally? Who is Dan Kildee and why did he decide not to run for re-election? To help us answer these questions, we spoke with Simon Schuster of MLive. Simon, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, I'm glad that you're able to come on also because this story really sent shockwaves around the nation. I think in terms of looking at national media, I heard uh, bigger reactions, uh, although it is pretty big here locally. People are really concerned about what this might do for the House of Representatives. But before we take a look forward into it, let's take a look back. For those who might not be so familiar, can you introduce them to Dan Kildee and what he meant for that district out there in the U.S. House of Representatives? Yeah, I think particularly in the Flint area, the Kildee name was something of an institution in terms of congressional representation. His uncle, uh, Dale Kildee, was, uh, preceded him in the U.S. House, and Dan succeeded him for six terms um, and represented Flint you know, throughout some of the most uh, the largest upheaval that it has experienced in decades particularly the Flint water crisis. And, you know, this was a moment uh, where there was a lot of political churn for that district. And Kilby was someone who maintained a consistent representation and advocating for the community and managed to survive politically, even when there was so much accusations of sort of um, uh, disservice being done to the community in terms of their political representation. So he's someone who's seen as consistently advocating for the city and for water, but then also is sort of, uh, you know, staking out ground in other policy areas in Congress that are particularly uh, of in personal passion for him. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about his work also, uh, we'll get into a little bit about what some of his legacy is in terms of things he voted for. But I know folks are going to wonder, why is he not seeking re-election for 2024? What's behind the decision? Do we know? Right. So earlier this year, uh, Rep. Kildee was uh, diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma, which is a cancer that is uh, can spread into the lymph nodes. And um, he had said that, you know, while he's doing well in terms of the cancer, that this is something that he believes he can beat and, is, and had a surgery for already, um, that it's sort of, as many people say, once they encounter some sort of life-altering circumstance like this, it, that it changed his perspective. That, you know, uh, he had perhaps grown a little bit tired of the work grind uh, that is involved being a member on Capitol Hill. And uh, from that change perspective, believe that, you know, he wanted to sort of take a step back, spend more time with his family. And, uh, you know, uh, but at the same time, he says he's not done with public service or at least being, uh, you know, having a public presence. So it's interesting to see what, if any, his next chapter is going to be. Yeah, you gave a little bit of insight into his background and what he means for the Flint area navigating, especially things like the Flint water crisis. But in terms of his legislative record and things that he did while in the U.S. House of Representatives, what stands out to you? What was he known for accomplishing or just uh, how he operated as a member of Congress there as a Democrat in that seat? 
Yes, he's someone who was, you know, a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, or at least had been a member of that uh, group, and someone who sort of, you know, wore that ideological um, bent on his sleeve. But at the same time, he was also someone who was really active in, you know, House Wayne Means Committee and the House Budget Committee and was involved in the appropriations process, sort of a lot of the behind the scenes work that you see in Congress that really has an outsized impact on the country. Um, so, you know, so much of what happens in Congress goes on beyond the scenes in terms of uh, making sure that, uh, you know, Bacon is brought home to the district. And he was someone who also wanted to consistently do that for his constituents and often touted, you know, bringing things home like funding for fire departments and public safety. It's someone who's so respected in the U.S. House of Representatives in Congress can be very important for regions like this. And especially you mentioned that he was a member of the Progressive House Caucus, even though that's a region that Republicans think that they can pick off as it seems to be moving more towards a conservative bent. So let's take a look at it now. If you lose a name like Dan Kildee, is this a possible pickup for Republicans? Who are they looking at possibly bringing up in that area uh, if we know at this point? Right. And I mean, you know, this was a very uh, safe district for uh, Dan um, relative to the 2020 redistricting that happened after the 2020 election, I should say. And uh, with the reformation of what had been the sixth, the fifth district, and then became the eighth district, it brought in more of a the northern swath of the Tri Cities region, uh, in particular Midland and that surrounding area, which definitely has tilted the district in a more conservative direction. And so Republicans, while they had targeted this district in 2022, are really uh, sort of sharpening their knives for this upcoming election. And so there's a lot of different uh, sort of names swirling, although few announcements. Uh, as to who might be jumping in this race. There already is Martin Blank, who's a trauma surgeon and a Saginaw resident. He's already declared for the race, but there's a lot of elected officials, too, who are interested. Um, there, Tom Leonard, the former Speaker of the Michigan House and one-time uh, Attorney General candidate, said to be mulling a run. And then also State Rep Bill Schutte, who represents, who's the son of the former Attorney General Bill Schutte. Uh, he represents the Midland area, which is now part of this district. And, uh, you know, he brings that name recognition that, uh, you know, any politician can value in a tight election like this. one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That can get you a long way. We've learned in terms of politics these days as we're speaking with Simon Schuster, senior political reporter for MLive right now on 1019 WDET. I want to speak with you as well. Give us a call. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, especially if you have a connection out to that area in Florida that uh, we know of Dan Kildee being a representative from uh, any thoughts or remembrances that you have of Dan Kildee's time in office, you can let us know that. Or if you're someone who lives out in that area or has connections to that area, what will you be looking for in the next representative? Do you think this is a good opportunity for Republicans to pick that seat off? Or do you think it's something that Democrats can hold in the fold? What will it take for them to do that? Let us know with your call. 313-577-1019. And Simon, moving back to uh, you, before we get into potential Democrats, uh, you did mention that that northern area is now part of the district that he represented. Do we have any idea of the things that folks in that area find most important? What are the things that polling would say they uh, vote on or anything that's uh, issues specific to that region that might be something really big that comes up in the upcoming 2024 election? Yeah, and this is a particularly interesting district because it encompasses both the city of Flint and cities like Saginaw alongside cities like Midland, whereas Midland is a relatively well-to-do, pretty white-collar community. You know, Flint and Saginaw are cities that have fallen on hard times and experienced 
you know, the decade-long decline of American manufacturing and sort of all the economic damage that that has wrought. And so uh, whatever candidate is going to be successful in this district, uh, I think that what's important for them is uh, trying to understand how they can bridge that gap and provide a message that sort of speaks to these two sides of the economy, because there is really a broad range of socioeconomic circumstances that happens in this district. And um, so, I mean, in terms of 2024, obviously so much depends upon the top of the ticket and how people feel about the records of of a president, the incumbent president, the presidential candidate. But, uh, you know, I think that the economy obviously is going to be first and foremost in everyone's mind. Yeah, it seems like that comes up uh, pretty often. What do they once say? It's the economy, stupid. Does that seem to always uh, play such a role? Or at least that's what people say. But then you look at the voting records and I sometimes wonder. But let's think about the Democratic side of this then. Any ideas, people floating out names of who Democrats could put forward and uh, what their policy positions are? Or is that something we're still waiting to check on? Yeah, there's not really been many announcements yet I, from what we've heard from elected officials. A lot of people were actually taken by surprise by this mm-hmm. by this decision. It wasn't something that a lot of folks saw coming. But, you know, there's a lot of current and former elected officials that clearly have aspirations for higher office. Among them, uh, the sheriff of Genesee County, Chris Swanson, um, and, you know, Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely. Uh, there's even the former Senator Jim Ananick of Flint. But a lot of these folks know and, you know, are sort of looking towards this race with a bit of trepidation because they know that this is going to be a highly competitive election and that um, depending upon how things are looking at the top of the ticket and what the prospects are for President Joe Biden um, is really going to sort of, I think, uh, color to some extent uh, how appealing, you know, another run for higher office looks, especially if these folks are already comfortable where they are. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of consternation as you bring up uh, President Joe Biden's name about where he's polling right now against Donald Trump. I've seen numbers showing them five points separate and, and anywhere from a toss up to, to that wide a range. Of course, though, Donald Trump not getting over that 50 percent mark. And this is presuming that Donald Trump would be the nominee as well as Joe Biden would be the Democratic nominee. But we've also had midterm elections that have happened outside of this state that seem to show that maybe uh, Democrats aren't quite as underwater as that polling would suggest. Uh, How does that reconcile with what you're hearing, at least in terms of the areas of Flint, of Saginaw, of Midland, as you mentioned? You think of a swath like that, and it seems to be a place that could be a little swingy, could be maybe representative of what a national tenor is. Is it tracking with you that uh, the top of the ticket it might really drive that? Or are there other issues that could be very important, like we've been seeing in some of these elections outside of Michigan for the uh, the, the midterms? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that I think for this area in particular matters is uh, really the strong play that the Biden administration has made towards American manufacturing and organized labor. You know, while it's not as large of a presence as it once was in the Flint area, this is still a constituency of voters that carries a lot of sway. And I think Democrats have really seen the writing in the wall uh, in the last two elections in which Donald Trump appeared and the success that he had with the rank and file members, especially in automotive unions. And they really want to make sure that these are people that they can bring back into their camp. Uh, whether this is going to be successful or not, particularly in Michigan, is something that's going to be of enormous importance. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, uh, go ahead. Please continue. And so I don't uh, I think that a lot of that is going to matter a lot for the Flint area. But then when you move up to, to Saginaw and Midland, the priorities are, are markedly different. And I think that the that Biden's folks have a significantly difficult pitch. 
uh, more difficult pitch. But I think the, one of the sort of X factors that people don't consider when they look at this initial polling is that we're going to have a deluge of advertisements between now and the 2024 election. And they both of these candidates have raised hundreds of millions of dollars that they can throw into advertising to promote their own messages. And, you know, I think this sort of cacophony of, of arguments that we're going to see moving into 2024 is really going to sort of reframe a lot. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, when we look at looking at polls a year out from an election, uh, they're not very they're not very uh, predictive, frankly. They have low value. What they can tell you is maybe where you're at, what you need to sure up. But most of the public, I suspect, not even that engaged with the election at this point in time. You mentioned Dan Kildee not even running causing a surprise, things like that can really change what ends up happening. I figure a race out there, for example, without a Dan Kildee in it, what effect does that have on turnout? Do Democrats decide, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have our person in there, we got to turn out more, we can't take this for granted, versus maybe they're not as inspired to run if their person, Kildee, isn't in there, which is one of the reasons why Republicans think it could be a a possibility for a pickup. So let's turn to the GOP. Uh, What message do they think they can run on in that district that you've been hearing uh, that can uh, turn it into a W for Republicans out there and pick up a seat? Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, going back to the economy here, what we've seen in the post-COVID recovery is really kind of a tale of two economies where you have folks who did pretty all right during the pandemic. You know, they're able to work from home, have white collar jobs. And for them, the economy is doing pretty decently well. But there's another contingent of folks disaffected, um, and really sort of left out in the cold and, and haven't, are still struggling from the economic shock, honestly, cataclysm that was the COVID-19 pandemic, and are continuing to struggle. And so, you know, uh, Donald Trump was really sort of exiting at the, at the peak of that pandemic, and then uh, Joe Biden was left to sort of clean up a lot of uh, the remnants of this pandemic and the economic uh, destruction that it wrought. And, those, and for those folks, uh, you know, they haven't really seen this return to prosperity that they saw in the years prior to that. And so I think capitalizing on those messages, along with uh, issues on national security, immigration, all of that is going to factor in. Yeah, well, the Senate race already made Michigan a place that people were going to be looking at nationally. This increases it. Are there any other races shaping up for 2024 that you're really looking at, Simon, that you think could portend uh, what the tenor of, uh, of representation or the, uh, the, the feeling in Michigan is uh, in this upcoming election? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's two things. One is the U.S. House race in the third district, you know, where Hillary Scolton defeated uh, John Gibbs, who in turn, John, John Gibbs had defeated Peter Meyer in, in a House primary. Uh, whether she can hold on to that seat, that's another target for the National Republican uh, Coordinated Committee. They are uh, really believing that that's flippable in, you know, a, a district that's sort of moderately conservative. Um, and on the other hand, I think when we look down at a more state level, um, Democrats, as of at least uh, the most recent election uh, this past Tuesday, uh, had a just a two-seat uh, lead against Republicans in the Michigan House. And so they've done a whole lot over the past year. They've passed a lot of legislation. They have a lot that they want to brag about. But I think 2024 is really going to be a test to see whether they can maintain that majority and whether they can effectively communicate the message saying, look, we promised a whole lot. Uh, we've done a whole lot of things. Uh, you know, is this sufficient enough to satisfy some of these midterm voters and not overextending themselves in terms of progressive priorities in a way that, uh, 
you know, renders themselves a lot more difficult to maintain this majority. Yeah, that's a great point. And before we get out of here, I got about like 30 seconds here with you. But what I'd like to get from you then is uh, I've heard I've seen that the secretary of state thinks that they can do the snap elections. What inside of 120 days are Democrats? Do we know how quickly they'll be able to get these elections done? Do we expect Democrats to win at the state level to get back the House majority? And if so, are they going to be pushing priorities through? That's a lot for 30 seconds. I know you can do it, though, Simon. <laughs> yeah, the legislature adjourned early, you know, so that they could have this early February 27th primary. And it's seeming increasingly unlikely that they're going to be able to meet this uh, date. I think the one of the real big questions in my mind is the implementation of new early voting that voters passed in 2022. Uh, whether they can pull that off smoothly and as quickly as they have promised, I think is really going to portend a lot for um, what these elections are going to look like. Yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating time right now in Michigan politics and someone great to speak with about it always is Simon Schuster, senior political reporter for MLive. Simon, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Hey, great talking with you. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and me, Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Podcast editing by David Lyons. And our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. You can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.